0: Hey, good morning, church family, and God bless. I hope you all had a wonderful week. And to the moms, I hope you had a, an amazing Mother's Day. I'm so glad you can join us today as we get into God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 is our text today. James 4, 7 through 10. We're now in part 11 of our series, Faith in Action. Again, James 4, uh, 7 through 10. Now, in part 10 of uh, our series, uh, the text was verses 1 through 6 of this chapter chapter four our focus was on dealing with the real issue that causes conflicts uh, in our relationships and James makes it very clear that it's an attitude of worldliness in verse 1a you might remember this we looked at horizontal conflict that's conflict with others and in verses 1 b through verse 3 we looked at internal conflict that's conflict within ourselves and in verses 4 through And five, we looked at vertical conflict, that's conflict with God. Now listen, to flirt with the world is to commit spiritual adultery. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. We also learned that humility is the key to getting help from God. In verse six, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the, say it, humble. You see, it's the humble Christian who depends on God for divine help to deal with a worldly attitude, and also who recognizes that they're empty without Him, that they need Him. So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Overcoming Worldliness. Say that, Overcoming Worldliness. Now, now humility is a good step forward, but that in itself... It doesn't overcome worldliness. Now, I want you to remember this, that on a daily basis, we're dealing with the old nature, right? And the new nature. And we're either cultivating the new nature and crucifying the old nature or neglecting the new nature and feeding the old nature. So there's a battle going on within us. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, listen now, I want to say this. We're not in a bless-me club. I'm going to say it again. We're not in a a bless-me club, though God does bless us, okay? We're in a battlefield. I'm going to say it again. We're in a battlefield, and we we got to deal with the old nature and, and with an attitude of selfishness, which is worldliness. It's an attitude in the heart which affects every part of our lives. So this begs the question, how do we deal with it? What is the cure for it? How do we overcome it? Speaking of worldliness, well, write this down. It's intimacy with God. Write it down. Intimacy with God. And what James does in our text is give us steps, listen now, steps on how to have intimacy with God. And you will also notice the imperatives in our text and they demand decisive action. So I want to give you 6.6 words from today's text. And if you're ready, say yes. Number one is resignation. Write that down. Say that. Resignation. Resignation. And I want, I want us to look at verse 7a. James writes, submit, keyword, submit yourselves then to God. Now, now when we got saved, we yielded our lives to God's will, right? We did that, right? But it seems with time that we failed to fully submit our lives to Him. Now, I want you to get this. Submission is not identical to obedience, Submission involves a surrender of the will that results in obedience. I'm going to say it again. Submission involves a surrender of the will that results in obedience. Now listen, in light of the grace that God gives us as we humble ourselves, the first thing that you and I must do is submit ourselves to Him. There must be a, a resignation of running and ruling over our own lives and surrendering our will, this now completely to God. And this involves every single aspect of our lives. All of our being must be in complete submission to Him, in complete submission to His will. It's giving up our way of living. That's what it is, giving up our way of living. It's releasing and resigning from all that is holding us and keeping us from a love relationship with Him. Now listen, what we need to do is to get under His authority. I'm going to say it again. What we need to do is to get under His authority. In the Greek, the word submit is the word hupotasso. Hupotasso. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. Again, H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. Hupatasso. It means to arrange or to get under. It means to get into proper rank. To submit to one's Control to yield to one's admonition or advice. It's a Greek military term meaning to subordinate oneself or to align. And I love this one: to arrange oneself under the authority of a commanding officer. In a non-military use, it was used. Uh, it was it was a voluntary attitude of giving in. Giving in, excuse me, cooperating, assuming responsibility. It's use of the obligation to submit to government authorities, uh, to elders in the church, of mutual submission of husbands and wives to one another and of wives to husbands in marriage. So since submission is a matter of the will, what James is doing is challenging us, listen now, to make a conscious choice, a conscious choice to resign, to give up, our imperfect will, okay, and to give into and to get under the perfect will of God, that our lives would match the prayer of Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Also in Luke 22, Luke twenty two, forty two, 42, where Jesus prayed, Yet not my will, but yours be done. So I want you to follow me here. There must be a willingness. Listen now, say that willingness. A willingness to give up our ways, our will, our selfishness, and bow down to God's will and rule over our lives. It's it's coming to Him, to God, humbly making a choice, a choice, to willingly, sincerely, faithfully, and completely surrendering ourselves to His sovereign authority over our lives to do what He wants us to do and to follow Him no matter what. Now, there's a lesson here, and here's a lesson. Intimacy with God begins by lining up under His leadership and authority. I'm going to say it again. Intimacy with God begins by lining up under His leadership and authority. Hey, listen, friends. We must come to the place in our lives, listen now, where we submit all to Him. All to Him. Our hands, our feet, voices, lips, possessions, intellect, will, hearts, love, all of ourselves to Him. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, He expects us, expects us to submit to His will and allow Him to be master and Lord of our lives. Now, I want to say this. This will never happen as long as there are areas in our lives that we are unwilling to submit to God. So number one is resignation. Point number two is resistance. Write that down. Say that, resistance. And I want you to look at verse 7b with me. Resistance, verse 7b. James writes, resist the devil. Resist the devil. In the Greek, the word resist is anthistemi. Anthistemi It's A-N-T-H-I-S-T-E-M-I. Again, a n. T-H-I-S-T-E-M-I, anthistemi, which is a compound of words anti and estemi. The word anti means, we know this, right, against. It means against or oppose, as to oppose something. The word estemi, excuse me, means to stand against or to stand in opposition. So this means to stand against the devil, to stand against him, oppose him in every single situation. And this is how we overcome his advance in subtle tactics. So we must, listen now, be aggressively determined to stand against the work of the devil, to stand against his deceptions and his efforts to intimidate us. Now listen, we need to dig in our heels, brace ourselves for a fight, and put, listen now, our full force, say that, full force, forward to drive him back and out of our lives. And you see, our stand against him must be firm. It must be unyielding and steadfast if we want to successfully, listen now, successfully resist his lies against our minds and against our emotions. Now, we are either resisting the devil or we're not. There's no middle ground. You got that? There is no middle ground. There's no place for us to let our guard down or to grow complacent. Now, if we resist the devil, notice the promise. Verse 7 C, and he will flee from you. So the command is what? To resist the devil, and the promise is what? He will flee from, from you. Now, I want you to get this. Never, never in the Bible does it say for us to flee and run from the devil. It never says that. Now, we are told to flee and run from temptation, but not the devil. God's word tells us to resist the devil, to stand firm against him, to stand our ground. Prove it. I will. Uh, Write this down, Ephesians chapter 6, or you can turn to it, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, and Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Did you get that? So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. He reminds us again. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able, get this now, you may be able to stand your ground. Got it? And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Are you getting this? Stand firm then with the belt of truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil, of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now I want you to notice that the armor only covers the front, not the back. It doesn't cover the back. Okay? There's no protection for the back, which means we are not to run away or flee from the devil. We are to resist him and stand against him. Now in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9a, 1 Peter 5, 9A, Peter, after giving a description of our enemy, the devil, says this resist him, speaking of the devil, standing firm in the faith. Now I'm gonna read that again because you got to get it. Resist him standing firm in the faith. He doesn't say resist him standing in faith. Okay? Follow me. He's not talking about my faith or, or your faith. He's talking about the faith. Say that, the faith. It's the truth embodied in Scripture. That's the faith. It's the Word of God. Jude chapter 1 verse 3b says, I urge you to contend for the faith. There it is. The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So what he's talking about, he's talking about the body of truth that has been passed down, listen now, by the Holy Spirit in the written word of God. That faith is, listen now, is the living word of God. Now in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, you might know the story, Right? Where Jesus was being tempted by the devil, remember that story. Well, question: What did Jesus do when the devil was tempting him? What did Jesus do? Listen now. He quoted the word. He said three times, "It is written." And on the third time, listen now. He quoted the word of the word. It says, "The devil left him." The devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. That's awesome. Love that. So there's a lesson here. Here's a lesson. You need to know what's written in the Word before you can say, it is written. I'm going to say it again. You need to know what's written in the Word before you can say, it is written. Friends, that's why we need to know the Word of God. We need to read it, study it, heed to it, understand it, feed on the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. And by the way, if you're in total submission to God, that means you're in total submission to His Word. So what's my point? My point is this. Before you can resist and stand against the devil, you must first bow before the living God. Got it? So we can resist, and we can stand against the devil, but we can't stand against him alone. We must be living and acting upon the truth of God's Word. You see, when the devil attacks us with doubt and, and discouragement and, and despair and fear, that's the time that you and I, that we need to reject his lies and rest on the truth of God's word. Believe it and act upon it. Write this down, 1 John 4, 4, and I love this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You got to believe that and act upon it. Now, now a word for everyone, Okay. Don't toy with the devil. I'm going to say it again. Don't toy with the devil. We are not to fear him, but we are to respect his power. He's a powerful foe. Jude one nine says this. Jude chapter one verse nine. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare. Listen to what it says. To bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said. The Lord rebuke you. Even Michael respected the devil's power. And by the way, friends, let me say this. When you want to rebuke the devil, don't say, I rebuke you. Say, say, the Lord rebuke you. Got it? Now, I want you to write this down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Ephesians 4, 27. And it says, and do not give the devil a foothold. I'm going to read that again. And do not give the devil a foothold. And I want to say this, it really, really bothers me when I hear Christians ask, can I do this or that and still be a Christian? And what they're really asking is, how close can I get without getting burned? What What can I get away with and still be called a Christian? Why not ask the question, how can I share the gospel more? How can I live a more holy life? How can I get more involved in the church? How can I love others more? How can I get closer to God? Which brings us now to the third point is reconnecting. Reconnecting. Write that down. Reconnecting. First is resignation. Resistance. Number three is reconnecting. Write that down. Reconnecting. Look at verse 8a with me. Verse 8a. James writes, come near to God, and He will come near to you. So again, it's a command. It's a command with a promise, right? You draw near to God, and what? God will draw near to you. Now, we're talking about here in the text, right, in in, in the study, we're talking about overcoming worldliness, right? Well, friends, listen now, involvement with the world and a worldly attitude moves us away from God. Therefore, listen now, we need to reconnect. Reconnect. Draw near to Him. Stay close to to him by developing a loving companionship. Now, listen, if, if we find ourselves far from God, friends, it's not because he left or is distant from us, okay? God didn't move, we moved. We distance ourselves from him. In fact, friends, if, if we find ourselves in conflict with others, that's a clear indication, friends, that we're not close to God, we've drifted. We've drifted away from him. You see, we cannot be close to God and at the same time be angry and bitter or unforgiving towards others. Now remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. Friends, we we can't draw near to God until we clear things up with others. Did you get that? I'm going to say it again. We cannot and we can't not, we can't draw near to God until we clear things up with others. And if we think that we're close to God and angry or bitter with others, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Now, Now notice, notice, we are to take the initiative Okay, we are to do our part. He says, come near to God. That's our part. We need to come near to God. Now, He saved us, right? And He placed His Holy Spirit in us. He did His part. We need to do our part. We need to to draw near to Him. We need to seek Him, to seek His face. Now, I want you to write these scriptures down. They're awesome scriptures. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Love that. Isaiah 55, 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Do you get that? Seek the Lord my, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You Psalm one forty five eighteen Psalm one forty five eighteen says the Lord is near to all who call on Him. Gosh, I love that. To all who call on Him in truth. Psalm seventy three. Psalm seventy three verse twenty eight says, "But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell." Of all your deeds. Gosh, I love that. In his book, Enjoying Intimacy with God, J. Oswald Sanders said both scripture and experience teach that it is we, not God, we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with Him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. And that's true. Listen, you're as close to God as you want to be. You are. That being said, you ever wonder why at times our lives are dry and cold spiritually? Why Why we can't feel God as we once did? Well, it isn't because God is lacking or because God is not there. God was there all along. Now listen, he wanted nothing more to supply, listen now, the strength and the comfort we needed He was just waiting for us to move toward Him. Got it? So there's a lesson here. Here's a lesson. Intimacy with God grows when we take a step in His direction. I'm going to say it again. Intimacy with God grows when we take a step in His direction. Friends, God has gone, listen now, has gone way more, way more, than halfway to meet us. Our responsibility, listen now, is to consciously move toward Him rather than continually away from Him. A.W. Tozer said this, Nearness is likeness. That's awesome. Nearness is likeness. You see, friends, the more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. So this begs the question, how how are we to draw near? How how to draw near? Well, let me let me tell you how. The Word. Be in the Word. Spend time in the Word of God. How about prayer? Spend time on your knees praying to God. How about this? Regular church attendance. Regular church attendance. Bible study. Knowing God's Word. How about just worshiping the Lord? Worshiping the Lord. How, how about this? By being right with God. That's how we draw near by being right with God. Listen friends, drawing near, got to get this drawing near demands a purity of heart and life. I'm going to say it again. Drawing near demands a purity of heart and life. God will draw near to us. Get this now, when we deal with the sin in our lives, which leads us now right into the fourth point is number 4 is repentance. Repentance. Write that down, repentance. Look at verse 8b. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm going to read that again. Wash your hands, you sinners. James doesn't pull any punches, right? You sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Friends, there can be nothing, listen now, nothing to weigh us down or hinder our ability to fight the good fight of faith. Write this down, Hebrews 12.1. If you're getting the same in, Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're safe, say amen. Listen, we must cleanse ourselves from any moral defilement that may have created enmity between ourselves and others or God. Now listen, as we draw near, as we draw near, friends, we see more clearly God's holiness and we feel more deeply our own sinfulness. You see, God's holiness, got to get this, God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. And the closer that you and I, that we draw to Him, the more we are aware of and convicted of our sin. Sin. And this is exactly what happened to Isaiah. You know, in his vision, when he saw the Lord seated on the throne, he said in Isaiah 6 5, Isaiah 6 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty almighty isaiah came to grips with his sin as he was before a holy god someone said this it is when we know the reality of his presence and come under its holy influence that we are at last in a position to face the demands the demands of holiness and find ourselves motivated by the desire to be like our God. That's awesome. Back to the text. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So, James, what he's doing here is giving us an image of the priest who came before the holy place in preparation for sacred duties. And what they were doing, they, they went through through the process of cleansing, of of purifying, to remind themselves that only in God, only in God, friends, were they fit for sacred work, and that it was God to whom, listen now, friends, they belonged, served, and must one day give an answer to. Say, say hands. Say that, say hands. Okay, refers to the external, right? The external. Um, has to do with, with with our actions, our actions and our behaviors. Say, say hearts, say hearts. It refers to internal, internal. And it has to do with our attitudes and, and our motives and, and our desires. In fact, Paul admonishes the believers in Corinth with a similar challenge. And I want you to write this down, 2 Corinthians 7.1, 2 Corinthians 7.1. And Paul writes, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify, there it is, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Write this down, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled got it? To cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies, there it is, bodies washed with pure water. So James tells us we are to wash our hands, that's external, right? And purify our hearts, that's internal, right? So follow me here. It's not enough to simply refrain from adultery. We should seek to be free of of sinful lust. It's not enough to give God a tithe of what we have. We should strive to view everything we have as belonging to Him. Stay with me now. It's not enough to be civil to other people. We are to strive to truly love them. It's not enough to show up in church on Sunday. We are to try to serve Him in every area of our lives. Now, friends, we cleanse our hands <clears throat> excuse me, and purify our hearts by confessing and forsaking our sins, both outward and also inward. Now, I want you to write this down. You probably know this by heart. 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. If we confess, listen now, friends, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, whenever we confess our sins to God, after we confess our sins to Him, We come come and we confess and come clean before Him. There comes a sense of peace and joy, right? Peace and joy just just overwhelms us when we confess our sins to Him. Now, I'm reminded of David, King David, friends, and he committed adultery uh, with Bathsheba, and, and he had her husband killed, and he hid his sin for almost a year, almost a year, he had hid his sin. And there was war between him and God. And in Psalm chapter 32 and in Psalm chapter 51, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you discover, you discover the, the high price David paid to be at war with God. But you will also discover, friends, listen now, when he finally confessed his sin to God, he experienced peace and joy. Peace and joy. And I want to say this. Sometimes we're trying to fight the battle outwardly, but inwardly, our hearts are not right with God. If the heart is not right, there will be no victory. I'm going to say it again. If the heart is not right, there can be no victory. So friends, let's not be guilty of being double-minded, portraying, portraying one thing but living another. Look at the text. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Say that, double-minded. In the Greek, the word double-minded is dipsuchos, dipsuchos, D-I-P-S-U-C-H-O-S. Again, D-I-P-S-U-C-H-O-S, dipsuchos. It means two-souled, okay? Okay, two-souled, having two souls, two-souled, okay? This is the Christian who's trying to enjoy, listen now, a relationship with the world and with God at the same time. They're trying to serve two belief systems. And we saw this back in chapter 1, verse 8. You might remember that. Now, I want you to follow me here. When you wash your hands and purify your hearts, I'm going to say it again. When you wash your hands and purify your hearts, you go from being double-minded to single-minded, single-souled. You're enjoying your relationship with God and following His belief system. Write these scriptures down. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 6.5, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, with all your soul, there it is, and with all your strength. Psalm 86.11, Psalm 86.11, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's single mindedness. That's single-souled. If you got it, say amen. Number five, here's the word, remorseful. Remorseful. Write that down. Say that, remorseful. Look at verse nine with me. Verse nine, grieve. James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, James, what he does here, he uses some intense language here. Why? Because he wants us, get this now, he wants us to understand the seriousness of dealing with our sin, the seriousness of genuine repentance. And listen now, his words tells us that there should be an emotional element to genuine repentance. There should be an outward manifestation of grief and remorse, sorrow, mourning, a a sense of gloom, friends. It's not a casual approach. Listen now, we're taking full responsibility for our sin and mourning, listen now, mourning over how we offended God. How we offended God. Now look at the text again. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now what's James saying there? Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. James is not saying that we are to live our lives void of joy, happiness, and laughter. Rather, what he's saying is we shouldn't have an attitude of laughter and joy when it comes to dealing with our sin. That's what he's saying. In other words, we should be broken, wretched, remorseful, and grieve, grieve, grieve deeply over our sins like we do in the death of a loved one. Now, question. Are you laughing when you should be weeping over your sins? I'm gonna say it again. Are you laughing when you should be weeping over your sins? William Mac- William, excuse me, William McDonald said this: When God visits us in conviction of sin, it is no time for lightheartedness or humor. That's deep. Now if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, listen now, when we sin, there should be in us the fruit of godly repentance, the fruit of godly sorrow, the intense kind that grows out of a deep awareness of our sin. Now I want you to write these scriptures down, okay? 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow. Do you get that? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Mark chapter 14, verse 72. Mark 14, 72 says, Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he, listen to what it says, he broke down and wept. Lamentations 5 fifteen through seventeen, Lamentations five, chapter five, fifteen through seventeen. Joy is gone from our hearts, our dancing has turned to mourning, the crown has fallen from our head, woe to us, for we have sinned. Because this our hearts are faint, because of these things our eyes grow dim. Wow. Psalm fifty one Verses 1 through 4. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me. This is David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only. Listen to what he says. Against you, you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Against you, he says, and you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So there's a lesson here, and this is the lesson. Draw, drawing, excuse me, drawing near, drawing near to God happens when we decide to get serious about dealing with our sin. I'm going to say it again. Drawing near to God begins, or happens, excuse me, happens, when we decide to get serious about dealing with our sin. Listen, friends, are, are, are you dealing with your sin? Are you mourning over your sin? Mourning deeply over your sin? Is there remorse Over your sin? Are you grieving over your sin? Wailing over your sin? We need to deal with our sin in a serious manner. Number six is reducing. Write that down, say reducing. Resignation, resistance, reconnecting, repentance, remorseful. Number six is reducing. Look at verse 10a Humble yourselves. Got it? Humble yourselves. You're decreasing, right? You're reducing yourself. Humble yourselves before the Lord. You see, humility, got to get this now, humility recognizes our own spiritual poverty. I'm going to say it again. Humility recognizes our own spiritual poverty. In Matthew chapter 5, 3, on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John 3.30, we know this, right? John 3.30, I must decrease and he must increase. You see, friends, humility acknowledges our desperate need of God's help. And what it does, it submits to his commanding will for our lives. So follow me here. Humility comes from seeing ourselves in light of the greatness of God. The greatness of God. It's being overwhelmed by the undeserved nature of His love. It's it's living each day with a gratitude that comes from knowing we are undeserving recipients of His incredible, amazing grace. It's the humble acceptance of God's will for our lives, anchored to our belief in His wisdom and love. It's being soft and gentle with others because we are so aware of our own weakness. Now, notice the result of humbling ourselves before God. Verse 10b, and he will lift you up. The command is what? Humble yourself, right? The promise is what? He will lift you up. Now, humility is a twofold blessing. Got to get this now. Humility is a twofold blessing. God will, listen now, God will give you grace. Back in verse 6, right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the Humble, so God will give you grace, and in this verse, God will lift you up. Twofold blessing, grace, and He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6. Write that down, 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter writes, humble yourselves. It's that word again, humble yourselves. And I love what he says here, under God's mighty hand. Gosh, I love that. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. In due time. Now, friends, if pride is a barrier to God's blessing, then humble yourself. Humble yourself. But you need to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. It's humility that bows to God's sovereignty. I'm going to say it again. It's humility that bows, okay, that bows to God's sovereignty. So I want you to follow me here. The person who humbles themselves under God's mighty hand is fully and completely dependent on God and confident in what God is doing in their lives. They don't need to brag about themselves. They don't need to to make themselves look good. They don't need to, to promote themselves. They don't need to be in the spotlight. Everything they do is done by being dependent on God and confident in what He's doing in them and through them. So if we're humble, we don't exalt ourselves. We let God do the exalting. He, God, must do the exalting and not ourselves. It's something, listen now, that He brings about, not us. He brings about the exalting, not us. And He will lift us up in His own way and in His own time. Not my time, Not your time, in due time, in due time. So there's a lesson here, and here's a lesson. Humility, humility, excuse me, leads to intimacy. Humility leads to intimacy. Friends, listen now. Humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves is when we admit our own sinfulness and unimportance. I'm going to say it again. Humbling ourselves is when we admit our own sinfulness and unimportance. And it's there. It's there, right there, when we do that. When we admit our sinfulness and unimportance, it's there that we experience and enjoy intimacy with God. You see, the closer we are to God, the further we are from being worldly. Can someone please say amen to that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it speaks and Lord, the conviction that it brings into our lives. Lord, I pray that this message has moved us from the place of complacency to the place of intimacy. That we would daily find, Lord, ourselves seeking you and loving you, drawing close to you as you will draw close to us. And Father, I echo the words of the psalmist. But as but as for me, but as for me, it is good to be near to you, God. So Lord bless our day and continue to strengthen us during this pandemic. And to you be the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. See you next time.